0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Leaders Among Us. I am your host, Alex Nogales, President and CEO of the National Hispanic Media Coalition. On this show, I will be interviewing leaders from all sectors of activity, be it culture, politics, the arts, health, education, business, telecommunications, and on and on. What is a leader? I suggest to you that a leader is someone who is committed to making a difference in our society, in the way they think, act, create, and innovate positive change. Today's guest fits that description perfectly. She is my friend Sharon Rector, who is the co-founder of First Media that has a lot of brands. It is 60 million viewers here in the USA, cable, 120 million worldwide, two billion social media across the universe, 33 different countries are involved. So Sharon, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. So tell me about your company.
1: So uh, Guy Orney, my co-founder and myself, started First Media with Baby First. Baby First is the leading cable uh, and satellite network uh, in the U.S. for mothers, babies, and toddlers. We're available in 60 million homes. We're watched by 60% of moms. And really, we offer good educational programming um, that fits your child development. But as the world changed, we changed with it. And what we found out was that what we really had was women's trust. And that women were coming to us for more than just their child's education. And we started creating content, mostly on social media, that had nothing to do with babies. It was all about the woman. Today, we have three major brands on social media, Blossom. Blusher and So Yummy. Um, Those generate over 2 billion monthly video views on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and others. Um, We are one of the top 10 publishers of Facebook in the world and number one in views per post. So 50 million people on average watch every single video we post. Fun. Oh, and I'm a mother of four. (laughs)
0: What is it exactly that you do? You divide the duties of the company, the corporation with your husband. What does he do and what do you do?
1: So the way we look at it is uh, we like to have one decision maker on every topic, but we're very good at running it together. We like to think that we're each right 99% of the time, but since we never know when is that 1% that we might be wrong, we treat each other with respect. And our rule is that if one of us really objects to doing something, we just don't do it. And I think that rule also applied to our board, which uh, I'm proud to say our board has never taken a vote. Because if somebody is really against, that's not the way we run our company, we just don't do it. Um, and that allowed us to work side by side and raise four children together.
0: There you have it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a way of uh, progressing with your work and at the same time being an incredible leader in the area that she is in. But I want to go beyond that. I want to go to what motivated you to get into this area. Tell me about your childhood. Let's start there.
1: Uh, Okay. Born in London, raised in Israel. Um, Came here uh, when I was 27. My mother wondered if a girl should come to 27, single, alone to the U.S. And, um, And my father said, why not? She's not stupid, she's not ugly, she can do it. <laughs> but um, uh, came alone with the desire to see how far can I go. And uh, met my husband on a blind date actually a week before I left to New York. I got a job running the Israeli Network, uh, which is a Hebrew-speaking TV channel. And my husband and I, being Israeli, very, I would say, some would say assertive, some would say aggressive. Uh, that's part of our culture. Um, thought that if... Um, I could run a network of 50,000 people, why can't we own our own? And I will say one of the things, being an immigrant, is that even though I can speak English, when we came, we didn't understand English. So when we pitched our idea for a cable network dedicated to mothers and babies, at the time the baby Einstein owned by Disney was $800 million in revenue, there was nothing on cable, they said, very interesting. Now where we come from, very interesting, means I'm very interested. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so we actually thought they were interested. And based on that, we're able to convince our investors and we're able to raise our first round. So um, good for us for not speaking English,
0: right? We were talking earlier, and you told me, um, you confided that you are dyslexic. But that along the line, you were able to take this this thing, of being dyslexic, into a positive. Tell me how that occurred.
1: So... I like to think that whatever happens to us, good or bad, is our gifts and our lessons, and it's all about how we take them. Um, Dyslexia for me was at a certain age, maybe first grade, I realized I can't do things that other kids can do, but I don't want them to know. I didn't have a name for it, it wasn't called dyslexia, but I just realized I can't do it, but I don't want them to know. So I had to come up with creative solutions. So uh, first grade, Everybody's writing in class. I realize I'm 10 times slower than them, so I just took the book and did it all at home and pretended for the entire year that I was writing. Uh, Seventh grade, I couldn't write the homework in French, so I just lifted my notebook empty and pretended I was reading um, from it, so it developed my memory. So I think dyslexia, which was tough in certain times, wired my brain to think differently, and the way I look at it now is the way we tackle problems is creativity. So we get to no, know what we hear is not this way. Maybe there's another way. And um, so this, I, I, I credit dyslexia uh, for my creativity and the ability to come up with solutions um, for problems.
0: You told me as well that it trained your memory, that you do a lot of things by memory, that you have perfect recall about what people say. So,
1: so my dyslexia is I don't have any visual memory. So I don't remember people by the way they look. I remember people by the way they sound, how I hear them, which also allows me um, to remember every conversation I've ever had, which is also very valuable in detecting liars.
0: (laughs) Well, now I know why you didn't recognize me when you first came in.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's not the most embarrassing one I've had.
0: (laughs) So um, your dad was a great influence in your life. Tell us about that.
1: So uh, my dad is an entrepreneur. Uh, I think my heritage. I'm 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 Jewish Israeli uh, descendant of Holocaust survivor. So um, I think my heritage really influences who I am and how we do things. I would say when I look at my heritage and what it gave me, uh, I look at mostly two things that the Jewish culture, willingly or unwillingly, unfortunately, has has put within me. One is um, we've always as as Jews around the world had to adjust to changing circumstances. So we're very good and very resilient at adjusting to changing circumstances and we understand that things can change in a minute. The second thing is the way our Torah is written, it's always, we're always um, encouraged to ask why. And within the limits of our system, challenge is status quo. So I think that really goes through our blood. My father, I would say, is a very, very big influence on my life. And I will say that the first thing he ever did for me is to treat me with respect. Always made me feel my opinion counted. And I will tell you, at the age of seven, my father took me out and said, I need, we need to talk, I need your advice. My father was at the time the CEO of the beers in Israel, big diamond conglomerate. He was, <laughs> he was doing really well for himself. And he said, I'm thinking of quitting my job and going independently, and I'd like to know what you think. And I said, what are we going to eat? And he didn't laugh. He didn't laugh. And he said, that's a very good question. Well, I've saved some money here. This is my plan, but I need your blessing. What do you think? And obviously he wasn't looking for my advice at that point. But he made me feel such an important part of our family and that my opinion mattered. And we have taken that throughout the years. He is still my number one mentor. Um, And I would say the biggest gift he has given, I'm the oldest of five, is that he sees each and every one of his children exactly the way we are and he's willing to put his time his effort um, his advice sometimes his money behind us to help each of us be whatever we want to be and his expectations are not the same of all of us because we have different talents on the other hand we have a mom who thinks we're all perfect just the way we are which you also need someone like that in your life (laughs) (laughs) so it's a very good combination why did you come into the united states i came for an opportunity Uh, i come from israel which isn't in my mind, the best place on earth. Uh, but is a small market. In Israel, we have uh, 7 million people. Any big idea you come up with is only valuable if you can take it outside of Israel. And I wanted to explore and test my limits. Uh, and when we came up with the idea of baby, first it was very exciting. Suddenly the idea of getting to 60 million homes, actually making a difference in families' lives, teaching children sometimes who can't afford it. Basic words, you know we do a lot of work uh, with the Latino community, and a lot of it is about getting to kindergarten with as much vocabulary as we can, because all the studies show that that really makes a difference. So it's just, what can I say? We're all here because it's the land of opportunities, right?
0: Yeah, it is, certainly for a lot of people. Some people recognize it, though, and others don't. Some have the skills to be able to survive and flourish, and some others don't.
1: So I, I will say, my uh, my grandparents passed away in a car accident when I was 10. I go to visit their grave every year on uh, memorial. And this year, I realized that when my grandfather arrived to Israel after the Second World War, he was 48 years old. He did not speak a word of Hebrew. He was so poor that he couldn't feed his own two children and had to put them in an orphanage house. He had just lost his entire family including a 3-year-old son. So, can't even imagine more scars than that. And the man lifted himself up. Nobody gave him anything. Nobody he he didn't think anybody owed him anything. He fought, he built his family, he became a successful lawyer, built built his practice and his family. And I always look at it when it's hard for me and I say, "Oh, things are difficult, you know, Who am I to complain compared to what this guy went through? 48 years old, he started from scratch. And to me, that's extremely inspiring to all of us because when we come and things are tough and we don't speak the language and maybe people people, people are not so welcoming to us, to me, it's about looking for the opportunity.
0: At the age of 11, you wrote a book or you published a book. I did. Tell me about that.
1: So unfortunately, my grandparents passed away in a car accident when they were 10, and I was 10, and I was heartbroken. And I wrote a book in their memory. Some of it was their Holocaust story. Most of it was fiction. Right before I came here, I was in third grade talking to third graders about writing a book. Um, it was a big success. It was the second bestselling kids book in Israel. It won quite a few awards. Uh, for me, it was a very interesting experience because before that I was a very nerdy child who didn't want to meet friends, wanted to have sleepovers with her grandparents. And suddenly I was all over the media, uh, which is life-changing for an 11-year-old. Uh, But again, a gift, because it opened me up to the world, and um, I had a lot of fun with it, and I just got a gift for my 40th birthday. My husband translated it to English, so we might publish
0: it again. We'll see. Now, many of the lessons that you learned as a little girl, you're also teaching your children, and we've talked about this before. You ask them the same question. What do you think? Just like your father did to you, you're doing to them.
1: So I can just tell you a funny story that happened just last week. Uh, I was speaking at a conference, and a minute before I was up to speak, my daughter calls me. We have quite a few animals in the house, and she says, Mom, I think we really are missing a a red-eared turtle. Can I get a red-eared turtle? And I said, I'm just about to go speak at my conference. Why don't you research? Call me back. She calls me back after an hour. and says, Mom, it's really not a big deal. We just need to clean the tank every other day. Will you let me have it? I said, okay, Noah, I think the big question comes to how much poop do you want to clean in your life? So she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, we have a new puppy. We have other animals. Do you want to do things like go to sleepovers, meet with your friends, do music, or do you want to clean animals' poop? That's the big question. So she said, okay, mom, let me think about it. She calls me back a minute later and she says, so mom, what you're saying is I need to think if I want to be an adult or a child. I said, what do you mean? She says, a child wants the turtle. An adult realizes it's a lot of work. I said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. So she says, okay, let me think about it. Calls me again, and all this is while I'm at a conference, right? And she says, Mom, I realized what my problem is. What if I make a mistake? What if I make the wrong choice? And I said, here's where the lesson comes in. We never make mistakes. And she said, what do you mean we never make mistakes? And I said, we never make mistakes. Whatever path we pick will end up being the right path for us. If you decide to have a turtle, you'll clean a lot of poop, but you'll love your turtle. If you decide not to have a turtle, you'll do a lot of other things in your life. And you wouldn't know you didn't have a turtle. So the real question is, how much poop do you want to clean in your life? Uh, she calls me back and she said, Mom, I think we need a lizard. <laughs> 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 but, but that's what I try to do. I try to talk to my kids in a way that is not about, can you have something or can't you have something? But really, what are the life lessons? And own what you decide to do and be who you want to be.
0: Let me go back to telecommunications, okay? How was it that you got into telecommunications? What did you do in Israel that uh, propelled you? Nothing. That educated you? Nothing.
1: Nothing. Had no education about television. Nothing. Two um, very vain kids who said, why not me? I was doing a job. I was getting paid lousy. They wouldn't give me a raise. Had they given me $1,000 more a month, I probably wouldn't have done it. But they didn't. Nothing. Nothing. Just the idea that why not me? Why can't I do it? And um, we started up with a very...
0: Bear with me for one second, though. This happened where you weren't getting the raise in Israel? No, here,
1: here, here. I got a job here, ran the Israeli network, was miserably paid. Um, and that was okay, because it was my starting job, and that was fine. But when I came and asked for a raise, and they said no, and I said, okay, but I can't live like this. And well, they said no. So I said, okay, so I'm going to open my own. And yes, it is very different running a cable network of 50,000 viewers versus 60 million. A, I didn't know that, so God bless ignorance. But, <laughs> but, but, but that's what I keep telling my children. There's nothing somebody else can do that you can't do. You just find creative solutions. So we came up at the beginning with a business model. Our content is fairly cost effective. So, yes, the average cost of launching a cable network in the U.S. is $70 million, but content for babies was much cheaper, and kids actually like repetition. So the real money goes into development and curriculum, but the actual animation is fairly cost-effective. So we came with a business model that actually offered cable operators an ability to make money versus pay us money. And That's how we got our first foot in the door. And then we were able to prove that uh, to DirecTV, that baby-first customers were nine times more loyal to the platform and that changed our distribution nationwide. But we've always come to a negotiation listening to the other side's needs. I love negotiations because it's art. You need to know what they need. You need to tie everything together to make it happen. It's not just about having great content, but if you come in and you're just pitching your great content because you think your content is great, you're never gonna get it done. It's all about finding creative ways to meet the need of the other side. And that's how we did it, step by step. But we had zero education. And actually, one of the biggest people in the media industry, when we went to pitch our idea to him, and we offered him 15% for his name,
0: said... It wasn't Trump, right?
1: I can't tell you. <laughs> but, it, but we offered a very big guy in the media... Because we were two kids. We understood we have nothing. Like, we were, we were nobodies. Uh, and we said, why don't you be our chairman? We'll give you 15%. And he said to our face, you are very nice kids but you have nothing, and I don't put my name on nothing. Uh, he later came back and offered us $5 million to come in for the same McGuiddy like a year later, but we we didn't take his money. But, um, but it, he was right. We were nothing. But we built it ourselves, and it, again, it goes back to my grandfather's story. Nobody owes us anything. Nobody gives us anything. We just have to find creative solutions to get to where we want to get.
0: What are the gifts, what are the skills that you have developed over the years to become successful? What do you think is necessary? I mean, we've been talking about it in generalization in terms of the life story, but if you were to just sit down, close your eyes, and say, okay, here are the skills that are necessary to become successful, what would you say?
1: The first one is get up. You fall down, you get up. You fall down, you get up. You, the amount of times we've gotten no's from all the people who ended up saying yes is, 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 is greater than I can ever count. So the first thing is you fall, you get up. And once I did actually uh, a cable agreement with somebody, the negotiation took three years. And I asked him, if, we're, if we ended up doing the deal, why did it take us three years to get there? And he said, because part of it is just seeing you still exist. And, 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 he, and his, from his perspective, he was right. Um, so to me, the first thing is you fall, you get up. The second, you surround yourself with really good people. But you don't aim to the people that you know. You actually look, who are the people that I want? and you find a way to get to the people that you want. It's not about finding the one that's easy. It's finding the right people. It's realizing what other people do better than you. I know that I'm different in my culture, and it doesn't work in every circumstance. So sometimes I accept that. I look at myself and I say, for certain groups I'm too aggressive, I'm being Israeli. So I surround myself with people who are not. And in certain meetings I'll take a back step because, because, I don't expect the world to change for me. I adjust myself to it. Um, So that's the second thing, I think. Um, Finding creative solutions to problems is very helpful.
0: Give us an example of that.
1: I'll give you one. It's not a business one, but I'll give you a kid's one just because it's the same way. So my kids, uh, I I was stuck on a business trip. I was away from my kids, and my kids started a new school. And I'm an involved mom. I want my kids to get popular, right? I want people to invite them on play dates. Nobody's calling. So I'm sitting with my dad, and we're just joking around, and I'm saying, what do I do? What do I do? And, he's, and then I say, what if they met the president, President Obama? Will people invite them for play dates? And he says, yes, they will. So I said, okay, let's see what we can do about that. So I, um, now, I have no relationship to President Obama, right? I don't know him at all. He doesn't know me. There's no reason for him to invite me. But my goal is not to meet President Obama. My goal is to make my kids popular at school. So I um, call a friend of mine who's a congressman, and I say, can we get just a regular tour of the White House? And he said, yeah, everybody can get that. Yeah, you can get it. I send an email to the headmaster of the school, and I say, Noah and Netta have been invited to the White House. If any other children would like to send letters, they would gladly hand deliver. I never said they're meeting the president. I get 200 letters. (laughs) Hopes and dreams of kids, okay? Remember my goal. My goal is to get my kids invited to play dates. I uh, call my PR agency and I say, I have 200 letters with the hopes and dreams of children. Newsworthy, not newsworthy. They say, let's try. ABC, NBC, CBS, come to school, interview my kids and the headmaster. These kids are carrying letters for President Obama. I keep telling them, they're not meeting the president. They say, don't confuse us with the facts. We have a resource telling us that they're meeting the president. Okay? The kids never met the president. We did the tour. They met somebody else at the White House who actually gave them pens and chocolates from President Obama, but they got invited to a hell of a lot of play dates. (laughs) (laughs) So that is the art of thinking big and getting to where you want to get. Now, my goal was never for my kids to meet the president. My goal was to get my children invited to play dates. It's all about, but I reached really high to do it, right? And it got the work done. So to me, that's a way of saying, I'm not limited by my resources. I'm going to think bigger.
0: Okay, some more skills. <laughs> Come on, you're on the roll here. <laughs>
1: um, I really think these are the most important ones. Surround yourself with great people. Aim for what you really want. I always think it takes the same amount of time to think small and think big. You might as well think big. Uh, It's the same amount of time. Um, Delegate, and don't assume you can do everything. I'm a mother of four, and I want to be involved in my children's life. And I've decided that I only do three things in my life, things that uh, are for my family, things that are for my work, and things that, God forbid, make me happy. And if something doesn't fall in that category, even with the risk of people not liking me, I say no. So it's about delegating, it's about choosing what you do. It's about making every day actually count. It's about just differentiating between what is important and what is urgent. Urgent is usually important to someone else. And doing the things that you think are important and focusing on your goal. For many years, I had a sign on my wall that said, get your company to cash flow positive. And that was it. Just make the company stable. Thank God today it's profitable. But for many years, that was the goal. So when you look at things, you have to say, um, is what I'm, if what I'm doing now, is it getting me closer to my goal? Is it not getting me closer to my goal? Make a plan, stick to it, but always be creative to adjust to changes. You know, I took a lifeguard class. In a lifeguard class, you'll learn that when the water spirals, forgive me, I'm not a native English, so I'm missing the word, but when the water spirals, you can't fight it. If you fight it, you'll drown. So the only way to survive when the water is spiraling is to go with the flow, and then find a way to get out. To me, that's a very good life lesson. When the water is spiraling, you can't, sometimes you just can't fight it. You understand that that's the situation, you go with it and you find a way out.
0: You're a very positive person and you're obviously showing your children that the skills that go towards that. What else are you doing?
1: I think immigrant children have the best chance to succeed because, because? they have the best of both worlds. They can understand the American system but they know how to think outside of it too. So I look at it as our children have both. And, and, and to me, I don't have both. I come in and I'm trying to play by American rules, but I'm studying them. I didn't grow up in them. But my kids, they know it. Again, it's a funny example, but my kid goes to school, they say that they can only bring, they're studying in Hebrew, and that they can only bring to school something that starts with the letter they're studying. And they're, starting the, and they're studying the letter N. And uh, my daughter wants to bring a teddy bear. I say, you can't bring a teddy bear. You're studying the letter N. She says, Mom, don't worry. I got it covered. She goes to school with the teddy bear. And the teacher comes to her and talks to her as if she's stupid and says, Noah, we're studying the letter N. You can't bring a teddy bear to school. She says, Miss Rita, this teddy bear is called Norman. So (laughs) she knows the system. She knows what she can do. She knows what she can't do. But she brings with her the creativity that only immigrants have to adjust what she wants into an existing system. I give you a lot of kids' stories, but I think it's because they make so much sense and they simplify things. Because... Yeah, I run a big company, and we do things in tens of millions of dollars. And that doesn't relate to everybody. But if my five-year-old can do it, everybody can do it.
0: Now, she learned from you that lesson of doing what she wants to do by being this much, this small little bit much, um, into what was required of her. You were telling me the story earlier today about your French studies. (laughs) Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) So I'm a dyslexic. If you are dyslectic, French is really the worst language you could learn. Nothing sounds the way it's spelled, okay? Horrible, horrible. Can't You just can't do it. And I wanted to quit French school when I was in 11th grade, and I wanted to quit. And my dad said, you don't quit, you find a way. You don't quit, you find a way. I said, okay, I don't quit, I find the way. What am I going to do? And what I did was I learned 10 essays perfectly by heart, and my... Um, solution was, no matter what I'm asked, I'm only answering one of these 10. No matter what I'm asked. It doesn't matter. All I have to do is bridge to one of these 10. And the person before me leaves the room and they brought in a book of Chagall and they're asking him to describe a picture. I can't describe a Chagall picture for the life of me. I can only talk about my 10 essays. So I come in and I slouch in the chair and the teacher says to me very angrily, are you tired? And I said, yes. Very tired. Yesterday I was in a trip to Jerusalem, and I have a perfect essay on a trip to Jerusalem, and I aced it. I got an A. This skill actually really helps because I've learned, no matter what I'm asked in an interview, I only answer what I want.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're running out of time. Um, Life is very different here from what you knew in Israel. Have you adopted, do you think?
1: To some extent. I still don't get the jokes. I still don't know when people lie. Um, I can't talk about baseball. You don't
0: know when people lie? Is in the United said?
1: States, no. Because I don't, it's not, in Israel, if somebody lies, you know. It, it's, I know, because I come from Israel, you might not know. I don't get the jokes, because I didn't grow up on the same TV shows.
0: Right.
1: Um, I don't know anything about football or baseball, and I don't even understand why baseball is a sport. How can overweight people do a sport? But <laughs> I don't get it. I understand that I don't get it. I do things to help me learn and integrate. But I also accept that I'm something different, and I love where I come from. I don't forget where I came from. And I'm a hybrid. My kids are a better hybrid, but I'm a hybrid. And I'm accepting it with love, um, adjusting slowly, and enjoying the ride.
0: And that is exactly what you need to do. (laughs) I thank you so very much for coming into the studio. Thank you. And I have to tell you, it's been delightful. You are one of the most uh, forward-thinking people I know and successful people that I know. So I I commend you. I congratulate you for all the success you've had in this country, along with your husband, because I'm, I'm not sure. Let me ask you the question. Um, do you understand that this is a two-person show, that the success of the company is because of the two of you?
1: I'm nothing without him.
0: Really? Yeah. But I want to say
1: one more thing. I want to thank you. I want to thank you and the National Hispanic Media Coalition for all your support. I think it has been extremely valuable, and I think we've tried and in some ways succeeded to do good things together. So it's not just about us as people. It's about what we do together for
0: our communities. Thank you for that. I need to tell you that I should have brought your husband in as well. You should have. Because yeah. this didn't just get built, this huge empire that you've carved down didn't just get built by you, but between the two of you. And I will bring him in because I think that your accomplishments as a couple are just phenomenal.
1: Stay tuned because that's going to be a much more interesting interview.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Again, thank you again. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week with another wonderful program, I hope, uh, regarding the leaders among us. Adios. Won't call the cops